Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning, and welcome back. Welcome back to the Porsche Cooled Podcast. We're back. It's Friday's episode. It's Tuesday here at the moment. Steve, what's happening? I mate. Tuesday, Hello. is it? Tuesday. <laughs> I know. I've got no idea of time. You know, I woke up this morning. Did you wake up thinking it was Monday? I didn't know what day it was today. Seriously, no, I, I never know what, know what day, day it is. I have no idea where I am. Well, I know where I am. I'm, I'm always at home because I'm literally always at home, but I have no idea what the date is or what day it is. See, that's bad yeah. though, isn't it? Because when you, when you go to the office every day, you're forced to remember. Yeah. <laughs> you are forced yeah. to remember what the day and date is. Um, this, our remote working lifestyle that we're all very accustomed to now, we just, you know, you have to actually think what day it is. You have to look at your computer and the computer has to remind you. I don't know whether yeah, that's a good terrible. thing or not. No, I don't think it is because, um, like, for me, you know, I've worked for myself for however long it is, four years, maybe even longer now. Um, and, you know, at the same time, moving moving place but also starting a family, et cetera, um, I keep saying that there is absolutely no difference between a weekend or a weekday. You know, the time of day almost doesn't matter. Like sometimes, you know, you can find me kind of, well, used to, sort of work at 2am in the morning and stuff like that. And it just has become one massive blur, um, which I don't think is healthy. I don't think that's pretty, I don't think that's any good for mental health, to be honest. But um, yeah. The whole remote working thing though, and the whole Zoom working from home video conference thing. And as you know, you know, we've, I mean, not so much the Zoom video thing, not so much the Zoom video or the Teams meetings that they always like to use in the Middle East. But the, yep. the remote working, you know, we've been doing for a long time now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I always remember people used to say, you know, other people we used to work with in other companies that we used to sort of collaborate with, they always used to say, I don't know how you can work remotely. I just don't know how you do it. How do you actually force yourself to do the work? And it's like, well, if the work's there to be done, then you just have, you just have to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's kind of weird, but it's, it's, it is very strange. I was talking about QR codes the other day. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'm talking about exhibition side of QR codes, right? And mm-hmm. QR yeah. codes are one of those things that, you know, people have used. And, you know, you think of a QR code now, we, you think of something, in my head, I think of something like government negative, you know, like just recording. You know what I mean? Recording information. That's all I, right. that's all I see it as. Where a QR yeah. code used to be something where it was, it could be quite artistic and you could use it in, a, in an exhibition to tell a story, right? And it was used yeah. to tell stories in, 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 you know, different exhibitions that we've referenced, you know, Vienna Biennale and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And now it's like, you know, you can't use something like a QR code anymore, even though you could use patterns really? and you can use it. I don't think so. I think after this whole COVID thing and this whole check-in thing that's happening with, with QR codes, and I don't know whether it seems to be more here, this, this whole check-in thing seems to be quite, you know, crazy. And I guess it did, ha- it was in the UK as well, actually. It was with the NHS app, so it was in the UK. In Bahrain, hmm. we didn't really check in with the app, I don't think, from memory. I don't think, I don't remember checking in. But mm-hmm. I just find certain things, you know, you thought were, that, that kind of were cool to use as, as a medium or whatever, you can't really use anymore. I mean, I'm sort of, you know, going off on a tangent here. But I was just thinking that when I was checking into Bunnings the other day. And for the overseas listeners, everywhere you go in Sydney, you have to check in. But then, you know, I don't know about you, Steve, but we've got numerous mm-hmm. warnings. We've got numerous warnings saying we've been in contact with, you know, in the, in the mm-hmm. shop, the supermarket at the same time someone's had COVID. But just mm-hmm. monitor your symptoms. That's all you have to do. Yeah, uh, the QR code check-in thing here is more because the app that they put in place originally and asked everybody to download that sort of tracks, you know, if you kind of come in 
proximity with somebody else via you know bluetooth etc failed dismally like like really dismally oh right so contact tracing in australia is done via check-ins like without it um they've got no idea of kind of uh, they've got no means of contact tracing yeah and my uk phone obviously there it traces through the apple system which i think i mentioned to you and, and in yeah, bahrain the you, app, s- you said app- bahrain the app was really good right yeah it's very very good yeah so that's why that's why you're not checking in in bahrain it's very good be aware app that's what i was thinking because it's using your proximity it's using your location to tell you uh i'm sorry i know it's an odd way to start the podcast but i thought i just sort of thought qr codes is more about like a shortcut to basically like a link really so um, i find it interesting that you sort of say that but it's a shortcut to a link but you could you can also use it as it's also has been used in exhibitions where it's a little bit cooler, you know what I mean? Yeah, where yeah, the whole yeah. wall, yeah. where the whole wall of an exhibition is is covered in QR codes, and it's like an exploration to to find something. So it has actually been used, you know, various exhibitions we've seen around the world. It has actually been used in that way, and it's something that yeah. always comes. It all, I'll tell you why I mentioned it. it's something that always comes up from the client They're saying, "Can't we use QR codes? Let's use QR codes like there's something like cool." And I just think. I've always hated them. I'll be honest with you. I've never liked them. I've always tried to uh-huh. steer away from them. And it came up for us even in the last, in the last World Expo, the one that's on now. Um, uh-huh. And I, we always try to like not include them. I prefer not to include them. But yeah, yeah I just, I don't know. I just, now I see them as a, I don't know. In I don't see them world, as a positive. I don't see it as a positive thing. You know what I mean? In my professional world, um, they've just become a way of condensing things. So like say on a piece of packaging um, rather than putting like a whole bunch of kind of consumer disclaimers about ingredients and allergens and all that sort of stuff. um, A lot of people are putting a QR code, which is the terms and conditions, which means that you don't have to kind of put like a whole bunch of fine print on things or, you know, like if you order food online and, and you need instructions on how to cook it rather than printing like an A4 sheet of paper. Yeah. And so I don't sort of see, <laughs> it's a I don't really link. see a QR code as a, um, I know what you're sort of saying. I don't see it as being a well, negative thing because of uh, government COVID tracing type stuff. I would, I would stick, I, I would not, I would not want to use them for what we do. Oh, they've never been my favorite thing either from a marketing professional kind of point of view, but. Um, but there yeah, have been, sort of, yeah, but there have been places where people have used them where they're quite impressive, especially when the whole wall yeah, is yeah. wallpapered in, you know, QR code. But also QR yep. codes are very similar to, and we're getting off the track, we'll come back onto Porsche in a second, but QR codes are also very similar <laughs> to like markers to, to, you know, AR markers. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a very similar thing. Yeah. So you can use the image, you can, you know, obviously QR codes, you can use logos, you can use images, you can use whatever you want. But yep. it's also very similar to using the, the markers to, you know, for, for um, other, other 3D sort of, you know, VR sort of AR well, sort of stuff. When they first came out, QR codes I'm talking, um, when I was sort of working in agencies, they said that they weren't going to last very long and beacon technology would sort of take over. But, <sighs> that didn't I happen. Mean, no, it never happened. But I, and I don't know because, you know, I've remained in Sydney the whole time and I don't think technologically were particularly advanced. No. But they always used to sort of say that, you know, like um, shopping and like experiences that you're sort of dealing with would always like the next thing would be beacons, but beacons, as far as I know, never took off, did they? There is, but they, they kind of took off in some ways and they're kind of like a weird, 
you know, that proximity beacon thing is used in... in Are we going to have to cut this out of the... No, 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 I don't mind talking about this. I don't mind talking about this. But they're used in, you know, that sort of technology... It's all about technology, right? And this technology filters into cars as well. It filters into everything. You know what I mean? But this technology like that was used at a really good exhibition that I went to, which I always refer to, which is the Rolls-Royce exhibition, which is in the UK at the Saatchi Gallery. It's a free... It was a free exhibition. It was in 2013 or 2014 or something like that. And they Uh utilised... they utilized proximity sensors and they utilized uh-huh. it really well. And that's the only exhibition I remember going to where it actually kind of worked pretty well. Um, uh-huh. Proximity sensors are used a lot in when it comes to sound. So at the V&A in London, the V&A in London always use it because one of their partners is Sennheiser. And especially uh-huh. for the David Bowie exhibition or the Pink Floyd, I think, exhibition where you walk through and, you know, you're in different rooms and the sound will come on, the sound will change. But the problem with that is it's okay in a big space where there's plenty of separation. If you're in a small space and we went to something at the Design Museum in London, you're in a small space, it keeps cutting in and out with the wrong music. Uh So it'll get the other zone. (laughs) So it doesn't separate the zones. So it drives you crazy, Steve, where the sound in your ear is going, you know, and it's like changing the two things like you're in the middle of the zone. So it's very, very weird. But that's, that's a really cool thing to use. I mean, if it works, if you're in a big enough space. But I anyway. think the downfall to it was privacy as well. Like you have to kind of give people, like if you walk into a Woolworths, you've got to give them permission to sort of track you sort of thing. So that's the biggest mm, kind of Not part with those exhibitions. You, I, don't know where you, I don't know where the disclaimer is, but you don't, it just, you know. Uh, I think you're not, you're probably not thinking about it so much if you kind of enter a creative, you know, exhibition sort of thing. But if you if you kind of go commercial and go, hey, you're going into a Woolworths and we want to serve you up all of this sort oh, of yeah, stuff, yeah, and yeah, that's okay. different. That's advertising, not yeah. you know, yeah. not you kind of uh, allowing people to kind of feed you interesting things. True. Okay, so that's how that's how exhibition part of the, part of the, the podcast. QR, <laughs> the QR called. So, <laughs> speaking of speaking of COVID, we're in the in our building in Sydney at the moment, Steve. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't tell you this, um, but it is kind of the reason why I kind of have been like not in contact with people. Um, unfortunately, mm-hmm. there's a few positive cases in our building, um, yeah, and there's actually right? not only a few positive cases in our building. There's a few positive cases on our floor have been, yep. um, which yep. I noticed their bin was removed from outside their doors yesterday, so that means they're not in isolation anymore. So I guess they're free. Um, oh, so is that that's the code. Is that co- is that the code? Yeah, they get their own like wheelie bin sort of at the door, so they don't okay. have to leave their apartment and stuff. So, I asked yep. the Natasha, yep. I said, "What's that wheelie bin doing outside that door at the end, right at the end of the hallway?" And she said, "Oh, that's um, someone's positive." It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I live in an apartment too, and I'm very conscious of the fact that um, you know, like it's going to happen, and how do you know? Yeah, no one wears masks. Hey, a um, couple of things, Steve. Let's get into it. Yep. Let's get into it. Welcome back. Uh, everyone knows <laughs> who we are. Just cut that first. No, I'm not cutting it out. out. I'm not cutting it out. That's just our, it's our usual. It's like you and Ajmal talking about War Horse, is it? <laughs> yeah, War Horse. That was a great, that's a great play, by the way. Um, okay, Steve. Um, yes. I don't know what's happening. Nothing much has happened, has it? There's been no drives. You didn't go for it. Oh, you went for a drive, didn't you, with Marco? What was that all about? Yeah. Where did you go? You went to Akuna Bay. I don't know yep. if I was... I don't know if I was uh, completely honest when mm. I said about Akuna Bay when I was talking about it, um, but I did tell yeah. you the road was a bit rough down to the gates. It was yeah, a bit yeah, rough. That. Yeah, you I did, didn't I? Um, and I know Jeff, who's been on Owner Stories. Um, hi, Jeff. I just want to say hello to Jeff. I just Jeff sent me a couple of emails and I haven't responded to him yet. I will respond to him by the time he hears this. Um, but he had a 
bit of an incident with his 912. I just saw he just sent me an Im- image about it. So oh, no. I'm sorry to hear about that, Jeff. Um, it's not good. I won't Jeff get into like what it was. Really cool guy. Yeah, but um, it's obviously in for repair. But um, I would have replied to his he, email by the time he hears this. He prompted a sort of thing because he said that one of his favourite drives was going down to Acuna Bay, which is sort of yes. Is that Where Northern is Beaches in Sydney area? Is that Northern Beaches or Karingai National Park? Off Monavale Road. Um, so I hadn't done it. Well, I'd been to Cottage Point, but I'd never done the specific drive. And then Marco had kind of done it. We were just at a loose end last week. Um, so we kind of figured out, you know, stuff it. Let's kind of, there was a little break in the weather again. So just yep. wanted to do it on a weekday morning. Um, and it's not that good. Um, not not saying that uh, Jeff has no idea what he's talking about. It's just like, in my humble opinion, um, it, well, I think it's actually the cars. It's probably not suited to like a GT3 or a 996 Turbo um, because it's too too narrow, too windy, too bumpy at the front part of it, which you experienced when you kind of got yes. to the gate and turned around. Yeah. Um, so that's the bit to Acuna Bay. Um, and then the bit afterwards where you go from there to West Head, it's bizarrely racetrack smooth, like right. super, super smooth. But um, I have a feeling you have to kind of really cane, cane it. Like you've got to go really hard to get right. some enjoyment out of that bit. Which I know I know you didn't do that bit. No. Um, so it was sort of like two ends of the spectrum and I just didn't actually have that much um, sort of driving fun. I think Marco sort of agrees. Like we both kind of talked about it. So it's interesting. It's when I saw you guys talking about it, I, mm. I do actually vaguely remember now coming, going, coming back the opposite direction on that road. Is there another way yeah. into that smooth bit? Yeah, I think is. I went around yeah. the long way and I think I have come back on that road, but it was on, because I remember it now, but it was on the motorbike. Because I used to go to Hakuna Bay on my motorbike uh, when I had okay. it. I used to drive it yep. right down there for a quick, you know, just a quick ride. Yep. Which now I'm thinking about it because when I went in the car last time with Tasha, she said the same thing, you know, like it, it's bumpy, it's narrow, you bottom out, it's you've got to be careful. Narrow, yeah. There's sticks on the road, there's twigs on the road. But I remember Jeff talking about it and Jeff said it's not about going fast down there, it was about the no. turns and, you know. And it's I very think- pretty. It is very pretty. And I'm assuming in a classic car it would be great. But um, if you're wanting to sort of drive a tiny bit harder, then not much fun. Did you bottom out? No, I didn't. I didn't. And like I went again, I uh, told you and Marco, I went again yesterday, took the family out. And this time we were in the McCann, um, you know, just looking for somewhere remote to kind of just go for a bit of a wander, get some fresh air. Yeah. Um, and it's very pretty from that point of view, like in terms of sightseeing and all of that, but yep. not again for the driving part of it. How the McCann was terrible as well then, McCann? Too big. Um, you know, I, I just don't enjoy a, driving. It's a small still, SUV, Steve. It's a small no, SUV. It's wide. I still like, you know, it's funny because we got all the way to Westhead. It was raining a little bit. That's because you got the um, We kind of got out and, you know, sort of went for a little walk with the kids. So I've got um, my youngest, like she's 10 months, sort of strapped to me in a carrier, blah, blah, blah. And then I sort of I turned to Cindy, my wife, and just sort of said, oh, do you want to drive? Do you want to do the bit? Because you know, I sort of thought maybe it might be a bit boring for her. So she kind of did the drive back, and I think she enjoyed it. Okay. But, yeah, just um, uh, sort of more like a touristy type thing um, rather than 
sort of you know trying to so you think it's a it's an air-cooled road it's not a macan it's not an yeah, suv probably. road it's not a 911 road it's a more of well, yeah. it's 911 but it's an air-cooled 911 it's more of that i think so experience yep yep, yep. What else? Let me just let me just introduce um, three new members to Patreon, Steve, because there's three new members of Patreon this week on Porsche Cooled. Cool. Uh, and we always like to give a shout out to the people who um, support the podcast through Patreon. As I've said before many, many times, you just go to uh, patreon.com, search, search Porsche Cooled, um, or you just go patreon.com slash Porsche Cooled and you'll find us. Um, three new members, actually. First one is Philip. Uh, Philip, actually, I just read a DM before we came online. Philip sent me a DM. Yeah. Philip, I'm not sure where you're from. Sorry, I actually don't know where you're from. But he said he's happy to find the podcast and he's joined the Patreon um, and he's listening through all the owner's stories. Uh, I'm not sure what Philip drives us yet, um, but thanks, Philip, for joining uh, Porsche Cool. Okay, Philip. Um, then there's uh, Bob. Bob, I've chatted to. Thank you, Bob. Hello, Bob. I know you're listening. Bob basically said to me that it was, you know, the, the, just to say thank you to both of us, Steve. Um, it's, been, it's like being at a Cars and Coffee anytime he wants. So that's really cool. Um, he uh, has a, sorry, what was that? Until he, until he came across the QR code conversation. <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with talking about that. There's honestly, there's nothing wrong with it. You know what? You know, we talk, you talk about QR codes, but maybe there is still someone out there that doesn't know what a QR code is. Yeah. I would argue that my parents. Should we give know. a definition now for the next half an hour, what a QR code is? Should we explain what that? I'd, I'd argue my 70 <laughs> something year old parents didn't know until they had to start checking in. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Know. And people struggle with that. Anyway, um, Bob, thank you for joining Porsche Cooled. Uh, Bob, uh, Bob's first Porsche was a Boxster S from memory. I've got it written down. Oh, there it is. Yeah, Boxster S uh, that he bought in 2013. And now he has a uh, Boxster GTS, Steve. He has a 2015 Boxster GTS, 2015, which he's really nice. happy with. Cool. Very cool. Very, very yeah. cool. Um, so thank you, Bob. Uh, thank you for joining Porsche Cooled. And then Jason. Jason, hello. Jason um, Jason and I have spoken on and off uh, through DMs. Jason's a watch guy as well. Jason and I, I think uh, first chatted because I think he saw one of my watch videos on YouTube uh, about the mm -hmm. watch winders, which is going to be my recommendation this week. Actually, I actually have a recommendation which we can follow after this, Steve. There you go. But Jason, uh, Jason has a... What does Jason have? A 997.1 Carrera 2, I think. That's pretty sure what you have, Jason. I just checked it on your other Instagram um, and like I said, Jason and I were talking about watch winders and he picked up one after I uh, recommended it and he got a good price on it, which is what I'm going to talk about in a second. So thank you, Jason, for joining Porsche Cooled and thank you, Bob, and thank you, Philip. Much appreciated. Cool. Before I get into owner's story, Steve, I'll just get into the recommendation because a lot yeah, of people yeah. that listen to us um, love watches, right? And a, lot of, and mm -hmm. a few people that listen to us have nice watches. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a couple of nice watches and some people don't, some people are looking for recommendations, etc. Um, so it's, it's, it is a common thread that, that a lot of people, um, chat to me about, but I think if you have a good watch, um, and I don't know whether I've, rec I've said this before about the watch winder, have I? I don't think I've brought it up before. Maybe I have, I can't remember. I know you don't have watch winders. You say you don't really see the need for them from memory. Yep. Um, I have the Wolf Watchwinders, uh, Wolf 18, whatever they're called. I don't know what the full name is, but the Wolf Watch Watchwinders from the UK. I have yep. three, I think, two single ones and a okay, two single ones and a double one. <laughs> now they're yep. expensive, okay, but they're yep. very. If you've got a good watch, they're very good, especially the ones where you can you can set clockwise, anti-clockwise, or you know bi-directional. You can set the speed. Mm -hmm. um, the ones I I tend to have that setting. I kind of like that setting. I like how you can set it to the, to the specs of your watch. 
Um, the watch wine expect Steve you can find online. There's plenty of sites that have it. I think Wolf have it, but most watch there's there's plenty of sort of links out there, references where you can find the specs of what your watch is. Mm-hmm. Um, from memory, I think Rolex is bi-directional 650 or something like that. So the place to get them, if you're looking for a watch winder or you're looking for a box, a, a watch roll or anything like that, um, Wolf have some really ugly stuff, but they have some yep. really nice stuff. So you have to yep. sort the bad, the good from the bad. But they have a they have a sale, I think, a couple of times a year. Um, they have one on Black Friday and they have another one at some other time of the year. And they and they literally go down to 60 or 70% off. At one point, mm. I bought a watch winder at 70% off. I bought a roll at 70% off. Um, wow. The other place to get it is a place called Drop. Uh, and Drop, I bought my large one from because the large one is super expensive. Um, mm-hmm. And Drop was recommended to me by, uh, by another guy uh, on Instagram. And Drop is, I think it's just drop.com. But you have to register. If you're not in the US, you have to be careful because when it's sent to you, you can get hit with VAT. Sometimes mm-hmm. VAT or GST, but sometimes that charge, Steve, it doesn't mm-hmm. really make a difference because it's still a hell of a lot cheaper. Um, like my one, I got my main watch winder, which is, you know, it's in all honesty, it's like, I don't know if it's a thousand pounds or more than a thousand pounds. It's quite a lot. Um, mm-hmm. That was like 80% off when I bought it on drop. Um, but the thing with drop is you can buy a lot of things on there, Steve. And I don't know whether you've been mm-hmm. to it before, but you have to like, say you want to buy it and then they have a certain allocation and you don't get, it doesn't get shipped until the whole allocation is gone. Do you know what I mean? There might be 200. Oh, so they wait like for 200 buy. buyers. Yeah. It's like a group buy thing. And okay. then it gets, and then it gets sent to you eventually. I had it sent to Bahrain actually the first one, which was actually good. The second one I had it sent to London and I got hit with um, VAT on top of it. Right. Any okay. recommendations, Steve? Um, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't prepared, but I can think of stuff. Um, <laughs> you always got plenty of things to buy. Actually, can I, I don't, it's a pretty obvious one. Waterhouse Hamilton. Um, I recommend, uh, look, we, everyone knows that we sort of uh, both use them in terms of servicing our cars, but, um, I, I had a little thing, I think I spoke about it before Christmas, where my door lock needed to be um, replaced because a stupid window wouldn't go back up when you yes. pulled the um, handle to trigger it um, yes. because it's a frameless window, blah, blah, blah. Had a little thing with it. Um, they had to kind of fix it up. And then I strangely got an airbag um, sensor warning on my dash. Um, and I did the usual thing of just kind of reading up quickly online. Um, and so I thought it was a related thing. Right. Um, I dropped in to the guys this week, sort of hoping that because I live so far away, I just wanted to avoid having to book the car and then get a loan car and all that sort of stuff, which it's not their fault that I live so far away, but it's a bit of a palaver for me. So they very kindly, Chris Monk very kindly said, yeah, just drop in and we'll have a kind of quick look at it. Dropped in and it turned out that, um, it was unrelated to the fact that they have to kind of pull the door panel apart. Oh, okay. Um, so what and was it? So it was the seatbelt receptacle, which is a complete weird pain in the ass type thing. Um, also because it's the second time that it's happened to me. Um, oh, really? I saw you mention that. Replace, mm. Yeah, they've actually had to replace my driver's side. Um, it's the bit that receives the male part of the seatbelt. Um, so because that kind of mucks around, it throws a um, airbag light at you. Really? Um, not yeah. the seatbelt warning. Not the seatbelt warning. No, airbag, airbag light. So, 
I'm, they replaced it a few years ago, I remember, because um, I asked them to do my rego renewal and they picked it up and sort of said, look, you know, sorry, we have to kind of change it. And it was an expensive part. Um, and then um, this time around it was the same thing, but it just never occurred to me because obviously um, I just equated it to, you know, the door panel having to kind of be pulled apart and um, some stuff on Renlist had sort of pointed towards that, like that it might be the side airbag, um, but it wasn't that. So where is the part located? What do you mean? Where is the okay. faulty bit? What is the bit that has to be replaced? The actual button, you know, the red button, that whole thing that kind of bolts to your seat. Oh, um, that has which to is be obviously replaced. wired as well. Yeah. Um, so um, the, they managed to diagnose that on the spot and really long story, they were going to... <laughs> Um, they were going to kind of help me out and try to fix it on the spot. But yep. um, as it turned out, like I, it made me kind of realise how difficult times are for um, places like Autohouse at the moment with couriers and parts, you know, um, whether it's interstate out of Melbourne or even out of Germany, like what a nightmare for them. Because when you think about it, like you think about how hard it is to kind of get anything that you buy online, like, yeah. you know, within like a timely kind of manner. Yeah. Imagine your business revolves around somebody brings their car in, you take it, you have no idea what's wrong with it, you diagnose it in the morning. Then, you know, in the old school world, I, I'm guessing you ordered your parts, you managed to get them in an hour or two, mm. you fix the car and your customer kind of drove away with their car that, that mm. afternoon. Um, as it turns out, you think about their business, like no, no chance for that to happen because how can they get parts that quickly? Um, Unfortunately, it's, our it's location, impossible. It's our location though, isn't it? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I know when Design 911 in the UK, when I oh. asked to buy, what was I going to buy? I bought the car cover before I left and I was going to buy the yep. stainless steel sills. And the sills, yep. they didn't have stock. They were in Germany or whatever. And I think they only yeah. said it was five-day turnaround or something. Something like that. It wasn't very long. Yeah. Maybe 10 days. I'm sure it will take a lot longer than 10 days because I, I actually inquired at Porsche South Sydney for a part yep. the other day yep. to see how much it would cost. Um, yep. And they said it has to come from Germany. And I thought, oh, I don't really know if I really want to do that because, you know, how long yeah, is it like going to take? how long is it going to take to get from Germany? Yeah, no, how it's long crazy. is it going to take? Am I still going to be here? You know, is it going to be like June? You know what I mean? Like, I yep. don't know. And you look at furniture, you know, we ordered something. And you're, you're right about that part thing. It must be really hard for, for car To run a business. Specialists, yeah. Because yeah. we, we ordered something the other day, like something, a light. I'll just say yep. it's a light. Um, yep. And, you know, yep. and it takes like 20 weeks now. 20 weeks how can something take 20 weeks to arrive? It seems like such a long time. Yeah. I just, um, yeah, look, my shout out was to Autohouse because they very kindly sort of fitted me and I made it a, a wrong assumption that it was, you know, um, uh, due to something like a previous kind of bit of work and it wasn't obviously blah, blah, blah. Um, so, like, it's just cool that they sort of um, still, you know, um, are able to try to help you like that. Yeah. So, do you know how much it's going to cost? Have you got the price? No, I didn't ask for the cost. Really? Um, I would. They've got to order the part, and then um, uh, I forgot because I've got to go back and look at my invoices. Like that part was literally replaced. Like I'm guessing maybe about three, four years ago, maybe. It's probably a few hours labour. Um, no, I don't think it's. Uh, I think it's probably going to be maybe like an hour. Maybe. Okay. They've well, got to pull okay. the seat out. But yeah. Well, that's all right. Seats yep. just bolts anyway. in, right? Easy to get out. You can take it out yourself, apparently. Uh, yeah. If I had skills, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we won't go there, will we? <laughs> skills. You want to talk about skills? Yeah, go I've ahead. got skills. I know people laugh at me all the time, and someone else, someone will laugh to me when I put an Instagram post saying I was going to try to install the knob. 
Well, you, was you laughed. Wasn't it? You laughed prematurely, but you laughed in the right way. Um, that knob, mm-hmm. Steve. Yep. Let me just fill the listeners. Is that 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 um, Lathworks knob? It's a beautiful knob. Mm-hmm. Chris did a great job. Marco did a great job getting it here and t- you know getting it here so quickly and going through the whole process and getting us those knobs. But yep. you know what? It's in the box. It's going to stay in the box now because I cannot. <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> Marco, I know you're listening. I cannot try to fit that knob anymore. I've gone down to my car four times, Steve. Yep. And just so the listeners know, I took the OEM knob off. The OEM knob came off easy as pie, as they say. Easy as pie. It just slid off. It it felt like it just came off. It had pressure, but it came off and it was easy. Then I put the other knob on. Steve didn't tell me it had, you know, double screws on it. So then I didn't <laughs> undo the screws. <laughs> I didn't undo the screws inside the inside the inside the knob. So I thought it was too yep. tall. So I thought, no, it's not right. Then I thought, no, I must be doing something wrong. And then I pulled the other OEM off again. I put it on again. It was still still too tall. I couldn't work it out. You know, stupid yep. me. So then I forgot about it. Then Steve said, Oh, you gotta get rid of those other grub screws underneath the knob. Screw the knob off, undo those grub screws. Okay, stupid me. Made a mistake. Go downstairs to do it. There is no mm-hmm. way, there is no way that that knob is coming off. It is stuck. I have looked have at things tried? online. I've listened to you. I don't know why it's stuck. It was not that hard before. And I've literally, it could be five times I've gone down there trying to do it. And it's such a, and I'll say it, it's such a bitch of a thing to do because the gator itself is just like a nightmare to get back on. Um, everything just feels like a nightmare. And it's, it's like the bottom part of the knob has got like a plastic bit. And it's... Yep. It's some reason it's it's not coming off. It's jammed on, and I don't understand now whether or not I put it on incorrectly when I put it back on, which I don't think so because I remember putting it on and, and it had that pressure. Yeah, because it only goes on one way, and it has the pressure when you go down where the air's yeah. coming out, so it has that feel. But now I can't get it's it off. It's friction mounted. Yeah, so I, I know I've sent you a whole bunch of different things and suggested a bunch of different things to you, but yes. the final suggestion was: Have you tried? Taking the um, the gear knob cap with the markings on it, have you tried lifting that off and squirting some WD-40 into to let it um, sort of feed down? I've read that that works for some people. Oh, really? Sorry, this this gear knob thing that you're talking about, it is notoriously um, or can be notoriously tight. Like people often sort of say to you, hey, be careful when you're trying to pull it off because you'll punch yourself in the face or you'll you know, like the knob will go through the windscreen if you're unlucky and it's a really tight fit. Why was it so easy the first time? And I didn't just take it off once. I I put it back on, then I took it off again. You know what I mean? Like at the same, you know, a few minutes later, of course, it was only a few minutes later. And then now it's just like, and I'm thinking, is it the weather? Is it the heat? You know, is it, is that got something to do with it? Because it's been quite hot in the garage. You know, I don't know. Try lubing your knob up, mate. So I take the cap off. There's a couple of screws on the cap. There's a couple of screws underneath the cap, and then you just spray some uh, lubricant Those in there. Those screws, from memory, will um, will release like it'll make your it come apart that way, not up and oh, down. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, so it'll like it will kind of break it all up. Like actually, that is another way to kind of get the whole thing to kind of come apart. Um, and I've done it before. It's not that. Um, it's not that scary. I know I've said that too yeah, many times, I know, but I know. no, it's been. Um, I, you know, I I thought you know, when you do these huh. things with your car, and like I said, I really am not enjoying doing these stuff. I really don't. Mm-hmm. It just it just frustrates me. In fact, it frustrates me so much that that it makes me hate things. You know what I mean? And I don't like to hate mm-hmm. things. And then I get to the point where I just like I just don't even want to go down there because I'm just so frustrated. I love from, hating things. I'm so frustrated <laughs> though from sitting in the car for like forty minutes 
you know, in the heat of the yeah. garage as well and trying yeah. to mess around with this thing with my phone as a light and trying to see what I'm doing as well. So basically, yeah. you don't have the right tools. Everything is complicated. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the problem. You don't have the right tools. You don't have the right lighting. Everything is complicated. And I really don't have the tools to do these sort of things, even though it's something so simple. Um, it's annoying yeah. because when I took that knob off, as I said last week, it's got no weight to it. The new one's got weight to it. It'll be great if I could get it on, but I can't. Last chance, I could just go to Order House and just ask them to do it for me, which the thought crossed my mind. But it's such a simple thing. But Natasha said, just take it to Order House. It's like, "Mm, okay, maybe I should just do that. Yeah, or like if you have to, I don't know what else is in on the cards for you. No, actually, that could raise something else. Um, Like if you go to, if you have to go and visit Atlas or something, somebody like that will help you um, as well. Like I can have a crack if you want, keep offering. I'm sure Marco would. Sort of, he's sort of probably handier than both of us. Well, you could have a cracky. It's tricky. I don't know. It's a shame. It's a shame. Hey, um, couple of reviews, Steve, on Apple, Apple, uh, Apple ratings and reviews. I sent Steve last week. I sent him the uh, screenshot of the ratings on Apple. Oh, were we? Was it thirty-six or forty-six in the US? Thirty-six, I think. I think it's one of the highest. Thirty-six. 47, I something like that. I think you're overreaching, mate. I think it was 40-something. 40 40-something, 40 40-something. 40 um, we, we were above the intercool or whatever they're called. We are above those people, so that was kind of cool. Um, anyway, two reviews. Um, how we get up on those Apple charts is through Apple reviews and ratings. Um, if you go to Apple, mm-hmm. you can just leave us a star rating, Steve, or you can leave us a review. Two reviews since last week. <laughs> uh I'm not going to read them out, but I just want to say thank you to Kestas because Kestas left a re- left another review. Um, Kestas again. Ha- Happy New Year. Looking forward to the new episodes in 2022. It's been great to listen to every episode so far. For those who don't know, this is the best podcast for a Porsche fans. Subscribe and listen. Also support the podcast on Patreon. So thank you, um, Kestas. Uh, I know they're both you because one's from Lithuania and one's from Italy. So thank you so much for doing that. Much, much appreciated. Hey, Steve, I watched the um, mm-hmm. Harry's Garage GT3 video because you spoke yes. about it last week when we were doing our GT3 chat, our GT3 yes. Turbo turbo and Carreras chat. Um, I had a look at it. It is one with a wing. Um, yep. He did make the point that it felt completely different. He did have a 997 GT3, like you said. Um, yep. What I wanted weird, to talk- Weird that he said that it was hard, harder than a 997.2. I can't. <clears throat> Interesting, the steering thing. Noisier and harsher. Yeah, more harsh. But the steering thing on the road, when he said he went down that same road on a Turbo S and when he's doing the steering and how it just wanted to go to the side, mm-hmm. how the steering yep. was very twitchy. Yep. He's taking his hands off the wheel, though, but I understand what he was trying to say. Um, and how it was so completely different to the Turbo S, which was just planted when he went down that same road, when he took his hands off the wheel. Um, yep. But I guess that's the nature of a GT car, right? Isn't that just what a GT car is all about? It's about the camber, isn't it, or whatever? I don't know how all that works. but I think it goes gets to a point where that it's too far and it's very unkind of comfortable. My car, I find my car to be quite good. I don't have any complaints about it sort of following tramlining um, and all of that sort of stuff. Tram like, of course, if you go if you go down a horrible road, um, like it will, um, the more camber you run, the more it sort of follows sort of funny tracks and ruts in the road and stuff like that. But I find my car perfectly fine, you know, for that type of thing. So the um, tram lining's not bad? Uh, yeah, but, you know, like uh, I don't even think that's, that's not even just a sort of GT3 generational thing that's also like set up. It depends on your um, suspension alignment settings and stuff like that as well. Yeah, but it's a good video. I mean, if, if, if the listeners haven't seen it, they should go and watch it. I mean, it's still a good video. He's still, you know, he's very... Yeah. 
covers everything, Harry, but he wasn't completely happy with the ride. But what I did like, Steve, and this was something I hated before, and I think we've talked about it before, I really liked the spec of that GT3. I can't even remember it, obviously. And it's white. It was white, right? right? Carrara, Carrara white, I guess. Um, It had blue accents and it had the blue painted rim on the wheel. The blue circle around the edge of the wheel. I hate you that. You know, that blue painting. I know you hate it too, and I've never been a big fan of it. Pinstripe. But for some reason on this car, it had white. It had that blue painted on the wheel. I think the wheels were black, weren't they, or platinum? Um, and then when he opened the car, the seats had, you know, the leather, the deviated leather, and it had the blue stitch to match. Yep. And then it had the yellow carbon brakes. And I thought that the spec of that GT3 was actually not bad. Not bad. Mm. What do you, th- you don't remember it? I, yeah, I can't quite remember it. I watched the video kind of quite a while ago. Um, but I can say, like, I hate the <laughs> pinstriping thing on the wheels. It's a very German aesthetic, I think. Um, and it just reminds me of those dodgy kind of aftermarket sort of Chinatown <laughs> wind protector things that you can buy. <laughs> so, like, I'm just not a fan. That and um, wheel stickers and I'm not even really quite... I'm dis- not into wheel stickers. I quite despise, um, uh, like... Tire, tire logos as well. You know, like when you kind of get those white, yeah, logos that you can stick on your tires, which is a very um, nice yeah. sporty type look as well. I'm not into that. Yeah, people stick it on your tires. Years ago, they used to have the the Mitchell on your tires. You could just paint it in with the white, with the white yeah. special paint. I know I yeah. did that on yeah. on a car when I was in uh, high school. <laughs> I yeah. thought it was very cool <laughs> at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, but anyway, no, not anymore. Hey, um, owner stories this week. I know you haven't listened to it, Steve. Um, it only just, uh, only just finished editing it last night. Um, the listeners Oops. would have probably, most of them would have probably heard it already once we go to, once this episode goes live. Um, yep. Had a good chat with Blair. Uh, Blair was from Salt Lake City in the US. Blair was good because Blair is, uh, he calls himself frugal. I know you're listening, Blair. He said he was frugal and, you know, it took him a while to get into 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 the cars that he wanted to buy. Um, but mm-hmm. he he owns a GT4 now. Cool. Um, he owns a GT4 that is a the one that he wanted, the color that so he wanted. 981? 981. The only year they're available in the US, um, yep. which I learned. Sapphire Blue. The one he has at the moment has 18-way buckets. Um, PCB is really well optioned. He had one before that, which he owned for six weeks, and he didn't really bond with the color. Um, and I know that sounds a bit weird, but it doesn't. If you listen to Blair's story, it all makes sense, and, and it yeah. really is a great story. He had a 2016 that he found before that, 981 GT4. He bought it. Yeah. It was in white. It was really carbon PCBs as well. It had the lightweight buckets. Yeah. He found the lightweight buckets quite uncomfortable due to, due to his back. Um, but that wasn't yep. the main reason. The main reason was he just didn't bond with the white. He was going to do a wrap on it. Yep. I'll let, I won't, I'm not going to give it all away, but he was going to do a wrap on it, but that changed, so he traded it and bought another one. And it's yep. a really good story, and it's a good way of, I don't know, it's, it's about, you know, if you're going to spend that sort of money, Steve, I think as Blair says, if you're going to spend that sort of money, you may as well get the one that you really want and the one that feels like your car. Um, and I think his current tough, car does. very tough. Because, yeah. like, um. For example, if you were shopping for a 997 GT3 of any sort, regardless of generation, you're not going to have much, like, sorry, in Australia, in Sydney or Australia, you're not going to have that many um, 
options in terms of choosing a colour, like it really will kind of get to the point of, you know, very, very narrow market. Yeah, and GT4s here, as we know, GT4s here are mm. mainly white. There's a lot of white GT4s. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like I said, he had the perfect spec, spec in the white one. It had the lightweight buckets yep. and everything. And he said it wasn't really the lightweight buckets. Even though he went on a long drive and he has a bit of a, an injury due to, I think, from... I don't know whether it's from playing golf or he can't play golf anymore. And then, you know, he, he just Skin found those seats. He found those seats quite, uh, quite uncomfortable. It was funny yeah, when right. I, when I spoke to Blair, it was just before Christmas and I was, I think I was complaining about the weather here. It was raining at the time. And then he yep. showed me out his window and the snow was just dumped. <laughs> it was just like, that's yeah. what you call bad weather. It's like, you feel like, what am I complaining about? <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, what am I really complaining about? But Blair uh-huh. had a good story, Steve, because he, I don't want to give it all away, but as I always say, but he he had an internship where he worked for BMW in Munich. He'd been to Germany oh, cool. before then to Munich. Um, that's when he first yep. started, you know, hearing and seeing more Porsches and more German cars. He had that love of yep. German cars. His dream his car he always wanted was an E46 BMW M3. He he's owned yep. a couple. Um, he bought a Cabriolet one, and then he bought another one off Bring a Trailer, which he actually sold again on Bring a Trailer. The second mm-hmm. one he had was a very Let's call it unicorn because we're going to talk about unicorns in today's episode. And a couple of things that Blair said in, in his story is kind of giving me, giving us the idea of, of what we're talking about a little bit more in depth after this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he had a really, his car was in Phoenix yellow, launch color, Steve. Mm-hmm. It was really low mileage. It was manual, you know. And it was a car that he really, he enjoyed it. And he really experienced that second one. This is a coupe as well. The first one was a convertible, the first M3 he had, yeah. in manual as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And But it was just something that, you know, it was good. To, you sort of look at it, but then it's it's so, it's such in such good condition and it's such collectible that it was almost like it, it wasn't, he didn't want to drive it as much. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He was a little bit more scared yeah. about putting miles on it. So instead of just keeping it, even though he, he sort of threw that idea at his wife, he didn't keep it and he sold it on Bring a Trailer. Obviously, he made money on it. He tells about how much money he made on it. Mm-hmm. But then he's, you know, his friend had a 718 Cayman GTS and his first, his first Porsche, actually, which I missed, was a 981 Cayman S. That's what he had. And he sort of dabbled on the track. Yep. He dabbled with, you know, driving on the track in his uh, Civic Type R and then he, the Cayman he really enjoyed. He bought the Cayman then he wanted more and then he ended up with the uh, GT4s, which... Cool. Are a pretty good car, don't you think? I mean, they really are a good car. Great car. I mean, they're I've very never, expensive again here. I'd love, actually, I've never driven one. I'd love to have a going one. Always admired them. I remember when they came out and you said you saw them, you saw one. I remember you sent me a message one day, and this was years ago. It must have been mm. 2016, I guess, 2015. Um, mm. And you saw one in the local area here, and it was in white, yep. and you said it sounded really good. It looked really good. You just saw one. I remember yeah, you telling me that. Great. It was like, wow. You know, and they look, they look, they still look really cool. They really do. In, and obviously... In dead just, standard form, the exhaust sounds really, really good. Yeah. Um, um, like, granted, Autohouse um, got one from new when it was released and all that sort of stuff. And I always... Do um, they still have that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think so. I haven't seen it recently, but, you know, I asked Grant. Um, I'm assuming so. I think Blair said the 981's a more... It's a rawer sort of car than the, the new one, is it? Is it a better car? Is that the general consensus or is a new one better? Um, don't know. I think the main forwards. difference. Remember reading when I read about the new one, they just sort of said like it's an improvement on the old one, but you wouldn't necessarily trade your old one for the new one. I think the biggest biggest point of difference was the engine because they kind of went to that four liter engine and 
the first gen was always sort of not slated, but everybody sort of questioned the fact that a GT car had a Carrera S engine in it as opposed to like a proper, a pure kind of motorsport engine in it. But, you know, regardless of that, they sound unreal. So so we had a bit of a chat about this before we started recording and it's just kind mm. of another vague idea that we always start with and then we sort of just, you know, grow upon when we're chatting. But like in Blair's owner's story, he, he made the point... Um, that he bought the car for him. You know what I mean? It wasn't about resale value. He just bought the car for him. And I think that was, you know, buying the car for me, buying the car for myself, buying the car that you really want is really, really important. No matter whether you buy Porsches or you buy Ferraris or you buy Fords, you buy, you know, whatever you're buying, you know what I mean? You should buy the car for you. Um, And then we talk about, you know, the other thing that sort of blends into this, Steve, is this allure of the unicorn. And, the allure of the unicorn is the fact that, you know, that article that you sent me um, about the guy that modded, who's got a, what has he got? A GT3 RS and a GT3 oh, 4.0? Um, yeah, I sent you a link on uh, a Renlist thread, which was people discussing, like, you know, like the ultimate unicorn for a lot of particularly GT owners is the 997 RS 4.0. And there was a thread on there, a discussion where, um, some people who owned, who were lucky enough to own that kind of car, um, basically said that a 997.2, a 3.8, um, with a few little kind of tweaks like to the suspension and stuff like that, is arguably as good, if not better, which is like, for me, it was a real kind of eye opener. It's like, oh, okay, like, you know, we all kind of revere this 4.0 thing um, sort of massively, and the people, you know, ordinary people, not journos or whatever, with first hand experience. Um, are basically sort of saying, oh, you know what? Like the three point, the three point eight is almost like just as good um, if you kind of just tinker with it a little bit, and then you probably don't have to kind of worry about you know value and rarity and all of that type of shit to kind of go along with it. So it's quite interesting. Yeah, and it's like you know wanting the unicorn, right? And the unicorn, mm-hmm. we always think of unicorn as being the you know the GT three RS four point or the Carrera GT or these sort of cars. But a unicorn for some people is not just the cars that all the, the millionaires are buying or all the people with heaps of, you know, a huge car collection are buying, Steve. It's like yeah, sure. the unicorn can yeah. be your GT3. The 997 GT3 can be your unicorn because to you it's, it's something that's, you know, that's yeah. something you just have to have. It's not about being this one-off special, special car. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And, and this – this wanting of these cars, you know what I mean? Are these wanting of these cars, is this, are we wanting them because we really want them or are we wanting them because, you know, um, from last week's episode, you know, uh, Greg at First Flight 6 sent me a couple of messages and he uh-huh. said, is no one simply satisfied? I hope you don't mind me reading this, Greg. No one is simply satisfied with what they have anymore. Do you think that's true? Do you think that's, yeah, that's yeah, what's yeah, going absolutely. on in the market that people, because of Instagram and because of all this other stuff, is that, yep. you know, there's this... And I think what Greg said, and Greg, I'm going to quote you again, um, Instagram has hyper-fueled this obsessive circle of never being satisfied. And I think that's yeah, a really, completely. really good point. Don't you, Steve? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's society and culture. Like, it is fueled by sort of social media plus car media and, you know, like paint to sample this and that, you know, like where everything is kind of more special, more customized, more rare, more exclusive. So, therefore... Um, you know, like, do you want to appreciate what you've got, got, like whether it's you with your base 997 Carrera or me with a GT3 or whatever else, 
if you kind of buy something, but then you, you sort of semi-joke when you talk to owners um, doing your owner story things about what have you got your eye on next. Um, and I kind of get it, but that leads to Greg's point of view, which is like, yeah, you know, um, we're all kind of pretty lucky if we're sort of in a Porsche of any sort of sort. And, yeah, for sure, there probably, there always is going to be something maybe bigger and better and shinier, but... I, the, the thing I find about that when you sort of raise this as a bit of a topic in terms of unicorn cars and lusting after like another thing is um, if, if I know this wasn't supposed to be about values and I don't necessarily want it to be, but. Well, the underlying um, thing is values though, but it's not about values. It's about the, it's about the trend, isn't it? But there is that value yeah, yeah, yeah. underlying underneath everything. You know what I mean? I was just going to say that like, I'd reckon what also makes it kind of hard is that um, uh, call it you just to make it easier to sort of, to sort of describe, like if you kind of said, yeah, cool, like, you know, time's up, you want to kind of move um, to another car and, you know, call it a 991.2 GT3 RS. Say that's your kind of unicorn car and that's what you want to get into. A lot of the time, like how the hell are you actually going to go and uh, going to get to go and drive it before you actually know that that's what you're going to go and buy? Like, you know, like pretend you're kind of lusting after this elusive 4.0, for example, like you'll yep. never get to test drive it before no. you actually kind of sink like a million dollars into it. Um, so bring that back a couple of notches, like even for you um, to potentially kind of jump into, you know, an RS or whatever else. These cars are all so rare. They're so sort of so highly, you know, kind of revved up and um, as in um, spoken of and stuff like that, not revved as in, you know, yeah. but um yeah there's so they're so highly kind of sought after and stuff like that now um how I'd, I'd still find it a little bit weird that people can kind of go for all these things but not ever have experienced and driven it as well well look at the look at that one that i sent you last night you know what i mean yep. and we're talking about this is a value thing right it's like how can yep. you experience a gt2 rs if you bought one yep. And you've only put yep. 160 miles on it, right? Now, yep. there's one for sale on Bring a Trailer. It was on Instagram that I saw it. It wasn't on Bring a Trailer. And I haven't looked at the listing, yep. but it's 160 mile, right? Yep. So what's that? 300 kilometer, is it? No. 100, how much is yeah. that in kilometers roundabout? 2011 911 GT2 RS. Now, like, yep. unless the person that bought that had another one and they put the miles on the other one and they're selling this one, which I doubt it. Yep. But you're not experiencing oh, you the car. You're not experienced a car. Look at what Blair said. You know, he bought that BMW, the M3. You know what I mean? Yep. And it was in, you know, it was, it was a collector's car, basically. You know, and, and in the end, he felt scared to drive it. And you want to buy a car that you're not scared to drive. You want to drive a car that you can experience, that you can enjoy. And we keep coming back to this thing. But then we keep seeing all these articles, you know, Steve. And that's, that's you know, that's the, not articles, but listings. So then you've got that mm -hmm. listing. And I'm sure the comments in that listing, everyone's lusting after this car. You know, I'm sure everyone's lusting after it in the Bring a Trailer comments. Yep. But is that a car you really want to buy? But come, keep coming back to it. If you bought that car, what are you going to do with it? Put 10,000 miles on it? Put 30,000 miles on it? I you think know? cars with like, you know, you know, like in three digits, let alone four digit um, mileage, um, that's just a completely different kind of market because as soon as you kind of buy a car like that, if you drive it, you're driving, I'm quoting something that I heard recently, yeah. you're basically driving the value off it um, yeah. at, that, at that sort of thing. So that's a collector car, um, not a driver car. Um, yeah, and, don't know. 
you know, and that, and I'm sure some of the listeners have seen it because it was all over mm. every news site. And you know, the Carrera GT, the red yep. guards red, right? Guards red Carrera GT that set the online record on Bring a Trailer at 1.9 million US. Very small buyer's fee, very small seller's yep. fee, I should say. It's the highest amount ever spent on a car through the auction site on Bring a Trailer. And it's the highest mm. price, which I was surprised, ever paid for the V10 sports car. 1.9 million. So then, of course, I do what most people do. I look through what they sold for, for before, you know. Mm. And if you go back mm. enough, there's ones there for 600,000. You know yep. what I mean? Like, it, and this sold for 1.9 million. But that's not the point. It's, it's, this, it's this thing out there, you know, the thing about it's Instagram, it's bring a trailer, it's, it's this allure, as we call it, the allure of the unicorn, we'll use that term, that... Is that making things? Is that making decisions harder for people where they're really, where a lot of people are really not buying what they want? They're they're wanting things that other people are getting. Is that how it is, or is oh, that? So he's saying, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's society in general. That's not just cars. It's like watches and houses and anything kind of material. Like, um, it's just the world that we live in, isn't it? That. Um, Idiots like me in advertising and marketing kind of help try to create a perception of something that you basically want and lost after. And then, you know, you're off in your merry way, kind of constantly buying the biggest next best thing to know. You know, let's just go back to that then. We lust over. Do we yeah. lust over perfection too much though? Do you know what I mean? It's like when I went out for the drive with you and Marco. You know what I mean? Yep. yep. You know, quite happy with my car. There's nothing wrong with it. It keeps saying how there's nothing wrong with a base career, which there isn't. You know, my car's fine, except for the fact that it's a bit low here and there. But then, you know, after that drive, it's like, ah, oh, you know, turbo would be <laughs> nice, you know. And you can yep. see I was looking at turbos because I sent Marco the link of the one I found for sale in... Um, oh, the silver one. Yep. The silver one in Australia for 170,000, the silver with 70,000 kilometers, 996 turbo, yep. 996.1 turbo, which was quite expensive, yep. I thought. You know, considering not that long ago they were sitting at a 130 or 120 or 140 or something like that. Yep. But, you know, it's just it's just human nature, right? Like I go out and it's like for me it's – I don't know. I think – I thought about this and I think for me it's a bit it's, – it's the enthusiasm of it though. It's not just the fact that, you know, I want what you have. It's because no, you know there's – we keep coming yep. to the underlying differences, the engineering side of it, the things that you – know are slightly different you know how natasha explained it in the in the podcast that she was in you know you still yep. notice those things um so i think it's more lusting after those things more than the side of it that you know the status or whatever the status of it yeah and the fact like what um greg at first flight six said to me in his dm you know it's like most people don't even use their gt cars on the track let alone use them to the full potential on the street even, you know, yeah. Carrera, you're not even using probably to its full full potential on the street. Yeah, yeah, true, true. I don't know. Um, car stuff, I think, like, that is going to skew the conversation massively, so I won't bang on about it. But I reckon also because obviously things that have technology involved, like cars particularly, um, they've just gotten better. So they're quicker, they're more comfortable, um, there's more gadgets in them, they're more capable, you know, so... Uh, they're easier for idiots to drive, not, you know, professional kind of races and stuff like that. So technically they're better, but, um, you know, like obviously then um, it, it sort of follows suit that if if um, the newer cars generally get better and better and better, that like we should all therefore kind of want 
you know, like a newer car and a newer yep. car and a newer car. Yep. But it seems like that trend of that maybe has sort of not, I'm not sort of saying it's come to an end, but there are a lot more people openly kind of questioning that because there are some people a bit more like me that kind of go, oh, you know, like maybe 997 is um, is peak. You know, it's good enough for me because it's sort of not so good that, um, you know, like I've compromised experience or rawness or, you know, like some people don't want technology, some people don't want LCD screens yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. So maybe maybe there's a little bit of an end to that. But is that why is that why you're not scared of driving your car? Because you you know what you paid for it, you know what it's worth now. Mm-hmm. Is it because of what you paid for it originally, or does it get to a point where, say, the nine nine seven GT three is worth, I don't know, say five hundred thousand Australian dollars? You know, yep. and of course we're talking about inflation here because five hundred thousand isn't five hundred thousand, right? Inflation yeah, is yeah, at a, going yeah. at a crazy rate around the world. Is yeah. that is there a point for you, Steve, where that your car does become? It becomes something that you you're not going to fully enjoy anymore because of that. Um, Is it going to be in the back of your really? mind thinking, "Hang on, I should stop. I should get something else that I can drive more and enjoy. I should get a GT4. I should get a GT4 or something else." You pose. Yeah, very, Steve. Very interesting, Jeffrey Robertson. Um, <laughs> like because I've never really thought about it like that, but um, I I don't think so. I don't think. Like if you sort of said to me, hey, all of a sudden my car's worth half a mil, which like I don't think will have actually happened, but then I never thought it would be, you know, kind of creeping up to 300 Aussie. Um, I don't think it would really change my perspective in terms of that. And what makes me comfortable about driving it is probably that it's not mint, like it's not like less than 20,000K. It doesn't have perfect paintwork and stuff like that. It's in really good nick, um, but it's also kind of well-driven and all of that. I just, uh, I, I sort of also partly kind of come back to the fact that, yes, I love, you know, doing stupid things like tinkering with, you know, interiors and gear knobs and yeah. paint corrections and all of that. So that's yeah. part of the ownership experience for me. Like it's not just the driving, but I still kind of go, nah, like, you know, like, if that was a museum piece, if it was like a, you know, collector car, um, do I think that I would enjoy it less? Yeah, I do. Like, right. you know, the biggest, I still maintain the biggest part of the car is the actual driving of it. Um, and yes. I think our opportunity to kind of drive cars like that or even better are kind of diminishing because, you know, like what's going to happen with EVs on the road? Like are we going to be frowned upon by young people Mm. Is petrol going to be become so mm. expensive that it actually does become prohibitive? You know, mm. like, will we not be allowed to drive into city centres because we're driving a, you know, petrol kind of car, all that sort of stuff? So you may as well enjoy it while you've got it. Like, there's no point. You can't take it with you. Okay, two things. Do you think yep. there, is a tipping, <clears throat> there is a tipping point, though? This unicorn, right, the allure of the unicorn, is there a tipping point yep. where a GT3, a 997 GT3, I don't know what the numbers were of your model in Australia, like yep. your white one. Yep. I think you probably know off your top of your head how many there were, right? You know around about. Yeah, there was 40-something. Um, 40, 40 they were the most common color in a 997.1. Okay. But there's 40. A 997.1 yep. GT3, there's 40 in Australia, correct? So what makes something – I know we talk about unicorns as being Carrera GTs and 911Rs and, you know, those sort of cars. 
But is there yes. a tipping point where the 997 GT3, with only 40 cars in Australia, and let's talk Wild about ones. region, almost region-based unicorns in a way, do you know what I mean? Like, yep. does it get to a point where there's a tipping point where your car is, is something that is one of these cars that no one can obtain anymore? Because it is, there is only 40. There's a few written off. There's a few that have been to the track. There's a few that have probably been crashed. There's probably less than 40 in white. And sure, there's only one color. Is there a point yeah. there, Steve, where it, where your, your GT3, which you bought for not that much money, well... <laughs> it was at the time. It was at the time. It was at the time, to what but not much money yeah. now compared to now, which we yeah. spoke about last yeah. week. Is there a point yeah. where it, it, it becomes a unicorn? Well, because you're talking about the definition of unicorn and rarity sort yes, of thing. Like, you look at, like if you're if you're trying to buy, say, like uh, what's what's happening to say my car has happened to like a nine nine three manual coupe. Um, it's almost impossible unicorn. to kind of jump onto car sales yeah. and and find one. Carrera like, S, you cool. know, like yeah, like there'll be one, there'll be one or two of them online. Like I haven't looked recently, but it got harder and harder and harder because I think Marco was looking at them originally, and it, it it was even less about the actual kind of money part, like whether you could afford it, but it was just whether the availability of it, because I guess as we're kind of moving on, getting older, all that sort of stuff, people um, own them, like them, so it'll be like me. I don't really want to ever let go of my car, so that takes it off the market. People stop um, selling them. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And uh, even though they become more valuable, then obviously for somebody like me to kind of let go of it, you know, like, no, I'm not going to let go of it at 300 If you offer no. me a million dollars, will I think about it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like there'll be, a, there'll be a point where you kind of go, oh, okay, that's so tempting that all of a sudden I will let go of it, but that's what's obviously driving these prices up and um, it's this kind of big vicious circle, I suppose. And, but, and no doubt in maybe it's going to be 10 years, but, you know, no doubt it will hit half a mil in Australia, that car. No doubt it will, you know what I mean, Depen depending on inflation as well. Yeah, but, but I, so then the point to it is obviously just enjoy it while you own it kind of thing. Like for sure, like no, not slagging anybody that sort of does buy and flip um, for investment reasons or whatever else, but I just kind of go like if you're going to buy it, then drive it while you've got it at least. You know, like if, if you're how I used to be, which was a serial kind of, um, you know, car buyer where like I'd buy a car and own it for a year or two and then I'd sort of get the next one. Um, not for value or whatever else, because I wanted to experience the next kind of car. Yeah. Um, the best thing that you can do is still um, enjoy it while you got it, like still tinker with it, you know, mess with the exhaust, mess with the interior, drive it, you know, go for drives on, you know, pitted roads and all of that sort of stuff and still still kind of get your value out of it. Exactly. Um, so you can experience it. And you bought, Steve, we keep coming back to this, this let's come back to that thing, you know, you bought the mm. car that you wanted. You know what I mean? Like what Blair yep. did. You bought the car you wanted. That was the car that you wanted. It was a car for you. You didn't buy it because in the back of your head, you're thinking, okay, I'm going to get good resale value. You know, Porsches. Oh no, keep, not at all. Not at all. You know, appreciate. You told me when I bought my 911, you know, it's, you know, you're not going to lose money. You might dip a bit, you know, you know, yep. you tell other people that they laugh at you. You know what I mean? You tell people who don't know about Porsches, they laugh at you, laugh about, laugh at you. You know, cars don't yes. appreciate, but it's not yep. about the resale value. And you didn't buy your car for that. And that's, the, the thing you have with your GT3 is you didn't, you bought it because that was the car you wanted. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, I think also maybe from mindset point of view too, you know, like I said it to you, I said it to my cousin with the M3 and pretty much anybody that'll listen to me come and babble, which is um, <laughs> I still you, believe man. 9-11 ownership is um, <laughs> stops the itch. You know, like once you kind of get one, you don't, you stop looking at, you know, M3s and like all of that. Like you look at it and appreciate it, but you don't hanker to kind of go and own it and, you know, no. sort of buy one and stuff like that. I, it, it, as soon as I kind of got into my first 911, it just sort of stopped all the kind of messing around with hot hatches and all of that sort of stuff because it's like, oh, okay, like it might not be as quick and it might not do this and that. It might not have car play, yep. but it just stopped me from kind of like eyeing up like a whole bunch of other different things. Yep. And even though like I might sound contradictory because I sort of said, hey, 964, then 993, hey, I'll never let go of it. Like, I'm so happy I won't, you know, I won't ever want to upgrade. I obviously did. Um, and it's the same feeling with the GT3. But I can genuinely sort of say, like, um, I can genuinely say with the 993, like, I was super happy, you know, like yeah. I had, you know, um, I had like my uncle's kind of cars, which not that I had access to them, but I had experienced them, like gone for a drive in it and stuff like that, gone for drives in mates cars like at yeah. that time i was driving client cars as well yeah um so i'd driven much better cars on paper than um my 993 at the time um and i'd jump in those cars and i'd gladly enjoy them and i'd appreciate them for what they are but i would always jump back into the 993 and kind of go yeah this is cool like you know yeah. this i'm perfectly happy and content to um blair's point and that's exactly how i feel about my current car my 997 I'm a little bit funny about like David in um, The Hunter. He's very kind offer to let, you know, us have a drive of his touring because like I sort of said, there's a surefire way to potentially breed, uh, breed discontent. Like I'm kind of a little bit dubious about, oh, there's a car that I do think maybe might sort yeah. of make me kind of second guess my, um, my 997 GT3, but. I don't know that for a fact, but like, uh, use another example. You know, I jumped in um, my uncle's F430, right? Yes. When I had this 997 GT3, I jumped in my uncle's F430 yep. and sort of thinking, no, I, I sort of felt fairly comfortable that that car wasn't going to make me go, oh, you know, there's a better car than my car. Did you drive it? <laughs> and I was right. Did you drive it? Yeah, yeah I, drove it. I drove it once. I rode passenger in it twice, I think, and without sounding, you know, snobby or foolish or whatever i just kind of thought no you know nice car very nice car like i'd i'd gladly borrow it i'd gladly kind of drive it again and stuff like that but does it make me want to sell my car um to kind of go to an f another f430 no 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 way not like as I was, usable not as usable um I don't yeah think. but take away all the kind of uh the sort of little selling points of the car and stuff like that i just meant in general that feeling like yeah god's honest truth is that when okay. i kept egging you on to jump in my car yeah um i knew that you would kind of go oh shit yeah. <laughs> like you know I, i'm gonna want to get one but there's not many cars that i can kind of cite where i'll go that car is gonna make me want to jump out of mine um i it's... can't uh, there, there's very few cars that i can think of that i think would make me sort of Doubt, um, yeah, doubt, doubt my car GT3 RS, maybe, yeah, maybe. Well, see, like, call, call it a I've never driven a point two as an example. Um, 
I suspect that it will be a better car, but I don't think it'll be that much better that it'll make me kind of go, oh, that's worth the, you know, yeah, extra. The rigmarole. Um, yeah. Um, a 991.2 in a manual, like a tour, whether it's a touring or a winged version, could be Tempting. better. But I just, yeah, but I suspect that I might kind of go, it's not interesting enough that it's not enough of an experience and it's too a bit sterile and I'll have to drive it too quick for yeah. it to kind of give me all the jollies that I want. Um, beyond that, I can't really think of other cars that, um, that yeah. would make me kind of, uh, discontent about my car to, to Blair's point, which is like, oh, okay. So all of us that have these really nice cars, but then we start hankering for other stuff for sure. I'll look at things, um, for fun kind of thing. But do I truly, truly look at other cars and kind of go, I've genuinely got this plan to kind of sell my car to move up to it. Like but it's, I can honestly say that I don't have that plan with yeah. my car. See, that's the thing. You have the aspirations, right? We do the searching and whatever. Yep. And sometimes yep. you go, th- and I think Blair said this in his story, you know, you go through the searching, yep. you know, and you discard all these things. Okay. I was thinking, you know, you've yep. got the money and you think, okay, I can, I can get that or I could get 911 or I could get this, I could get that. And then he mm. came back to getting, you know, the from the 981 came in to getting a, a GT4, you know what I mean? Even though he yes. might have looked at a 911 or a 993, I think it was, he almost he almost did the did the number on, always bought. Okay. Um, yep. So it's like you have these aspirations, you go through it, and I guess it's easy when you have the money at hand, you sell something, you have it, you have the choice, right? Yeah. But I still think it's very admirable when you, when you just buy what you really want, Steve. You know you I mean? You're not so influenced by the whole trend. And I just worry about this GT trend. I really do worry about the GT trend. I think about it because, you know, look in the UK, you haven't got a hope of getting a GT car. You know what I mean? And do all those yeah. people really want a GT car or they just want it because, you know, everyone else wants it? And, you know, the, the, you know we know that, you know... It's a very rarefied world though because I sort of feel like a big part of it is like the value of them and the the, the cost, like, rules so many of us out like i know i'm i'm guessing your kind of listenership um you know there's probably some fairly affluent people that kind of listen to this podcast but even a lot of those people probably kind of are ruled out like even if i said to you that i really wanted a 991.2 gt3 um the god's honest truth is i don't have the means like i just don't have the means to kind of do it so even though i might want it i can't do it yeah and in australia if you could buy one even if you put a few options on it's 500k right it's close to 500,000 yeah, yeah, yeah. easy so that's 500, very dollars. narrow yeah it's very that's small a very market. narrow market of people that you're talking to isn't it yeah yeah and you know these these you know i think i read that in the bloomberg article i kind of i think that's where i saw it just before this morning you know this driver where they read you know what did they say driver focused driver focused analog cars or something are in high demand, right? Everywhere. Everyone wants a right. driver-focused analog car. And I think yep. that's a good thing. You know, going back to your electric yes. car thing where electric cars take over and everyone's gonna, everyone in electric cars are going to hate people in these fuel guzzlers. But I think yep. it's good that, that, that there is this trend. There is this trend for more driver-focused cars, for analog cars. That article you sent me, Steve, with the, mm. um, uh, as, as we call it, rowing your own gears, why manual gearboxes still matter. That, that article that you sent me, oh. you know what I mean? Yeah, Henry Catchpole um, has written up a really, really very articulate um, article on Evo magazine, which you can just read it online. You don't have to kind of yeah. get the mag, um, which is really good because I think it just um, speaks to the heart of like a lot of enthusiasts in terms of why um, people like enjoy manual, enjoy manual cars. Yeah. And the article is titled that. You just do a search on Evo, why manual gearboxes still matter. But it all comes back to this whole, you know, I don't know. I mean, 
I don't know, Steve. Where do we take it from here? I don't know. Um, I my question for you <laughs> was where to next for you? Have you been pondering? No, I just, you know, I just look at my usual things. I always look at pretty much the same thing. You know what I mean? And I'll t- mm-hmm. it's no mm-hmm. secret. I still look at, you know, 60. I like the idea of a 69, 912. I like yep. the, or even if you had the means. And this is not because, yep. this is not because they're unpopular or in demand. It's because of the engine size. You know, the 70s, you know, the 911s, the same sort of era. Yep. Whether it be an E or a T. S is completely yep. out of the means. I always look at those. I look at pretty much yep. the same things. I look at GT3 RS. I won't lie. I always look at GT3 RS. I look at the 991.1. Um, yep. I watch the values of those. Um, I do look at point twos, but they're, I, I disregard them because the price is way too high. Yep. Um, there's an ultraviolet uh, 991.1 GT3 RS for sale at the moment. I think it's 360 yep. Aussie, which is about where I think they should be. Um, some people now are trying to get 400 for that point one. Um, point twos, just for the listeners, Steve, are there about 450 or 460. There's a really nice white one for sale for about 460. Yikes. I like yep. those. I look at those. Um, I look at GTSs, I won't lie. I look at 901.1, yep. but there's not many available, but point two GTSs. I still think that yep. one at Classic Throttle, the manual one, is is a pick because it's, it's spec without a sunroof. I think that that to me is a bit of – these cars are my sort of unicorns, you know what I mean? They're the ones I look yeah, at. Yeah. Um, I don't. I know you're not a huge fan of GTS, but I think that GTS at Classic Throttle with the no sunroof, the manual, um, it's got really good spec. It's got carbon, I think, inside and stuff like that. I think that's a really well-spec car, but the price, you know, dictates. It's, it's expensive. Well, I'll say it again. I'll clarify. I'm, it's not that I'm not a fan of GTS. It's just more that um, when the prices kind of get to the point where it's close to kind of GT, GT3 kind of yes. money, that's where I kind of go, oh, I, I don't quite see how that works. Yes. I, I think I would the, take, sorry, the, Jack, sorry, I would take the 0.1 ultraviolet because I love that purple color. Yeah. I think that's a really good. And I saw a love orange one in Chinatown here the other day and yeah. much bigger on the street. I forget how big they are with that. They, they do look very big, the 0.1s. Um, but I would take the 0.1 ultraviolet over the GTS, of course. I mean, to me, that's a no-brainer. I would just take the GT3 RS. I think part of the reason for asking was also, like I'd always, um, in my competition with Ajmal to see who can spend your money quicker, um, I'd always sort of, you know, kind of uh, theoretically earmarked a GT3 in your future. You know, like that would be your kind of path, as, as I've always sort of said, and though you've kind of thought about it. But and I still look at GT3s. I didn't mention that. Sorry, Steve, for interrupting. Yeah. I do. GT3 is still there. Sorry, I just don't mention. Yeah. I didn't mention that. But you know, 997 GT3 or 991.2 GT3, I look at too. They're the other ones that I. They're just. That's just a no-brainer. I always look at those. Yeah, sure. But um, so since you've come back to Sydney, and then you sort of said um, you found like your lowered kind of car, yes. a bit unwieldy, like driving around the city and stuff like that. Has that? It did. Like, not that it's up to me, I'm just sort of talking out loud, but has that sort of semi maybe changed your point of view? Because it made me kind of go, mm. oh, shit. Like, if you're kind of if you're kind of struggling with, you know, the scraping and the grinding and the weight of the clutch and all of that sort of stuff, then it actually did make me kind of go, oh, shit, like maybe a GT3 isn't for you because if you find that, that really, really kind of grating on your brain, like every time you kind of go out, um, it did actually make me kind of go, oh, okay, maybe I have got it wrong on your behalf because well, lift kit. The GT3 is lower <laughs> because kit. of the because of the the front spoiler. Right. The clutch is way heavier. 
Um, right. And all of those sorts of things. The car is noisier. It groans. It makes all these stupid noises. Um, sorry, I'm talking a 997. Yep. Maybe a 991 is better um, because uh, I think it probably is more usable in yeah. the inner city on an inner city street. But and then we're talking. You know what? What we're saying now is what most people think about when they're thinking about these cars. This is what you should think about. You know what I mean? And you're making the point that we've spoken about this whole episode. You should buy the car you want. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, but like, sometimes the car you want is not always practical if it's your only car. Um, and I know well, a lot of the listeners so, in the US and Europe, they have multiple cars. You know, in Australia, yeah. our prices are a lot higher. Not everyone has more than one car here. I mean, I, I guess people that have 911s do. I don't. I mean, yeah. obviously the GT3 or GT3 RS, if you had a second car, if you had a Macan or you had a, you know, something else like that, I guess it'd be okay, like what you do. Um, yep. Yeah. But as your only car, you're probably right. It probably is too hardcore. Because the streets here, the roads well, in Australia, I think, have got worse. Um, you know, and driveways have got steeper. And things scrape a lot more than I remember them scraping before. I just, yeah, I don't remember you kind of complaining about scraping nearly as much as like, no. since you've kind of come home this time. Um, and uh, going back to what I sort of mentioned a little bit before, like, say for argument's sake, you're ready to kind of, you know, spend some hard-earned cash and um, upgrade at least if you kind of go, okay, so now I've kind of, I'm ready to kind of upgrade, at least you can kind of go, hey, okay, so can I borrow your car for like, you know, a day or a half a day and live with it? Yeah. And you'll be able to w- figure out whether or not I'm right or wrong about maybe a 997 GT3 is wrong for you. So, um, But I just don't think many people are in that sort of position where you no. can actually figure it out before you kind of go and spend like 300 grand. Which you can't try it before nuts. you buy, can you? You can't try yeah, it before you buy even if you buy a new car, you can't do it. And see, maybe what you're saying, you know, maybe, you know, when you think about that stuff, you live in the inner city, you live in inner Sydney, you live in inner London or, you know, European huh. cities or whatever. Maybe something like a, maybe a Carrera S or a Carrera GTS is the more sensible car to own. Maybe it is more sensible. Maybe. You know what I mean? Maybe. Because Look. you've got the performance, you've got the history, you've got the experience. It's a 911, you know what I mean? You still have to buy something you can enjoy and you can drive and not something that you just want to sit there with your camp chair and just look at every evening and, and polish the rear bumper. Yeah. You it's, know what I mean? It's personal like said, choice. It's about like, driving. Yeah. Like I didn't think that uh, your and my taste were that far apart. Like I still think a GT3 is perfectly fine for the usage that you're talking about. Yeah. But you're obviously kind of struggling with it. So like that's just a difference um, mm. in your and my taste kind of thing. So I'm not struggling with it. I do like the Touring. I do like that. I didn't mention that because it's out of my price. So I do like the Touring. You know what I mean? <laughs> we all do. <laughs> um, I think the Touring is, I think that's why the Touring is so popular and people that own it, you know, speak so highly of it because it is the perfect combination. You know, yeah. there's a couple of people out there that say, oh, why would you want a GT3 without a wing? But I don't think so. I think it's the perfect combination, whether it be the 991 or whether it be the 992. Um, I think it really is, maybe it is a sweet spot. You know what I mean? Maybe that's why they're, they're so sought after. Maybe it is really the sweet spot, Steve. Yeah. And my last question with that was, um, I think I'll ask you, but um, I'll ask you again. Um, did you ever think about raising the white height on your car? Like if it's if the scraping is kind of shitting you so much? Well, as you reminded me the other day, message, I've just had yeah. the suspension refreshed. Yeah. Um, Probably because, the wrong time to pose that question. Because but. the bump stops on a car, you know, it's very interesting when um, Chris at Autohouse, I think, said to me, when they touch the bump yep. stops, they just broke away. And then I saw that video from Friends Green Porsche. Um, yep. in the UK and they had some car and they touched it and it did exactly the same thing. You and can perish. see they just, they just perish. Yep. They just crumble that plastic part. Yep. 
Um, so that's why mine were changed. They had to go in and do something else. With They had to go in there anyway, so they may as well go in there and do it. That's why I had that done. Yep. Raising the ride height, I can't see anything online where the stock OEM Porsche shocks, which mine has, can be yep. raised any higher. Yeah, and I questioned it because I didn't know. Like I know on... Um, and I don't think they can. I know on my 993, but that... No, 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 no. My 964... When you kind of um, put, you change the shocks and the springs, there's a degree of adjustment in it. And I, I wasn't sure whether or not that's possible. Like your car's on riding stock suspension, but with um, whatever lowering springs, IBARX or HRs or TechArts, which yes. would just be rebranded IBARX or which is a Which is a common mod that a lot of people do, right? And my yeah. car came that way. And I don't have a problem with my, you know, the ride height. I think the car looks good at the ride height. It looks I don't great. think it, it, I don't think it looks too yeah. low. Think it looks right it's never really scraped that much before i am probably going into more supermarket shopping center type car parks some are okay yep. some in alexandra went into on saturday were okay um some are not you know what i mean and my yep. problem is it's really hard to judge judge in a 911 it's really hard to judge if that gutter or that driveway is going to be okay until no, you, you actually have no idea, right? you have no idea yeah. right until you go in it and you hear the scraping and as i've said said before my bumper's already scratched. Okay, I've already seen it underneath. It's, it distresses me. I just can't look at it. It's already scratched, mm. right? Um, this is what happens. So, What about that spoiler thing? Did that survive? Is that survive? Yeah, that's or? still there. That's still there. It's not there. Yeah, it's right. the paint that's scratched. Um, right. So if I, you know, if I was looking at a new car, I would, I would just pay the 5,000 Aussie and, and spec a lift. You know, if I was looking for another car, I would mm. prefer if it had the lift if I was looking for another 911. If it's a GT3 or a Touring, I prefer if it had the lift. Obviously, the newer ones all have lift. Um, I just think you need it. I just think you need it if you're going to have that sort of car. Um, I'm curious. Like, um, I fitted lift to mine like aftermarket sort of thing because I just got sick of you yeah. know replacing spoiler lips and stuff like that. But it's not necessarily... It doesn't 100% solve it because, as you sort of say, like sometimes you kind of go, oh, that doesn't look that bad, and then it's not until after you've kind of gone through it yeah. and ripped the crap out of your car that it's like, oh, okay, I should have slowed down and used lift. And lift in my car still takes, you know, like, I don't know, like 20 seconds for it to kind of rise. So, Shit. like, you are Slow. pissing off anybody who's behind you. <laughs> like, it's not- I, Steve, I do that every time I'm driving in back streets with speed humps. I slow right down. Yeah, yeah so and do like, I. They come so right I. up behind and you and they like you feel like they're going to run at the back of you because they're in some SUV or four-wheel drive or yeah, something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I do as well. It's just um, you just don't, like, it's not like uh, you can instantaneously kind of use lift to kind of navigate everything. So just a low car is a, a you know, like a yep. low car. Like it's the price you pay for sort of driving something like that, I suppose. Yep. And I like my car how it looks. And back to the suspension just before we finish, because we're, we're about mm. to finish, I think. Um, yeah. My suspension. I think I have two options, and I think I might have mentioned these to you. The first option yep. is I ditch the lowering springs. I get OEM shock spring, springs put back on the car. But then which I have to. Which would be a shame, right? Which would be a shame, and which then I'm going to have to deal with that ride height, which is. Too high. It might not look terrible, but it may, and then you've already done it, right? The other option it does of, look terrible. It does look terrible. <laughs> yeah. The other option, the other option is to go not necessarily coilovers, but do the Bilstein PSS whatever Piece. kit it is, which has adjustment at different heights, right? You could those Piece ones 16s. you can adjust. So yeah. that means I can just lift it, say five mil, so it's not fully high. And they're not coilovers; they're not fully adjustable. Um, yep. 
So I could go down that route. But that will cost, you know, fitted, that must be like six grand at least. You know, it must be at least. It's not that much, is it? You don't have, so the PSS system I call it, you're talking about B15s or whatever, which is just like a replacement shock with a new set of springs. Yeah, it's it's a kit. They're not six grand, are they? It's pretty expensive. It might be, but fitted though, Steve, I'm talking about fitted all up cost. You know what I mean? Yeah. It could be four grand, but then how many hours of labor is it to do four corners? Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Ah, uh, no idea. I don't know. Uh, back in I'd the day, because have... I've done it to previous cars, but it wasn't. How much did you pay previous cars from memory? Jeez, uh, back in the day, like the suspension itself would have been less than two grand, and it probably would have been like another grand or 1200 bucks to kind of for the labor to, to fit it and then do the alignment. So I don't know. This is a very long time ago. Though. I think I think the Bilstein one that I was looking at, I think it's called the B12 kit. B12 is B8 yeah. shocks and, and struts plus EBAC Pro kit springs. It comes as a kit, yep. um, the B12 kit. And I think from memory it was three something Australian. Three, three and a okay. half, maybe. Yeah, right. I don't know how much it is now. I'd have to check. But And I think a lot of these things, it comes back to your, your thing about order house telling you it's hard to get parts. I noticed on yep. KW side, I think it was in Australia, a lot of things aren't in stock. They don't have stock of, yep. of anything. So that's going to be the other oh, big issue. Oh, they wouldn't issue. hold those sorts of things. They're too um, specific, isn't it? Too yeah. narrow a market for them to kind of to have that in inventory. You know, do I want to put that investment in into the car? You know, do I want to do that now after I've just spent a big chunk of money, which you know how much it is? Do I really <laughs> want to spend another, say, five grand? That's a lot. That's a lot more to put in straight away, and I don't know if I'm willing to do that. I think I just have to yeah. live with it. Yeah, and look, I was just talking out loud. I know, not uh, even though I joke about spending your money, I kind of get it. But it was just more that it's always going to be that thing of like how much. Just because you'd spoken about it, it's like, well, how much is it really bothering you? That um, you know, how much is it really kind of like spoiling your your driver experience to kind of scrape and you no, know but, lurch around town. But when I went for the drive, when I met up with you and Marco and went for the drive, it's fine. Yeah. The car's fine. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Sure, okay. you come out of yeah. a car park or whatever, you guys go slowly, but we all do the same thing. We all like turn yeah. in a certain way and whatever. That's all fine. Yeah. That's just part of driving. I don't have a problem with that. It's just a scraping. And I don't know why. I think maybe it's just because of the places I've been going to, places that I wouldn't right. usually go to that I haven't been to before with a car um, yeah. just because I've had but to get to a lot more areas. Huh? Did you get a Hooters? Yeah. No, Woolworths. Um, just to go to I really all these like places. really the Hooters logo, huh? for what it's worth. Really? The Hooters logo is one of my favourite logo I, designs. I don't know what it is. Is that the two eyes? I can't remember. Yeah, the owl. Yeah, that's right. Now I remember. Um, yeah. On that note, mate, Sorry. let's go. Let's finish. <laughs> Hi, Ashwell. We started on QRs <laughs> and we finished on Hooters. Um, yeah. Thanks, mate. Let's finish. What no. else? Any, oh, closing words. Closing words. So, Unicorn. Yeah. Um, Yep. The allure of the unicorn comes back to buy the car you want, buy the car you can enjoy. Um, is the GT3 that you drive, Steve, going to become a unicorn in years to come? Ah, oh, look, at the moment, it's somebody's unicorn. Yeah. Um, you know, it it was mine and I've kind of got it. Um, but I can Lucky I can hand on heart sort of say that <laughs> I don't last after something else. And that is, a, that is actually a really good place to be, yes. to kind of be kind of car content. But... I think, and sorry, that's what I meant before, which is I do actually sort of feel like um, 9-11 ownership is like that. It gets you to a place of being really content. It does. And it, it stops does. the itch and you stop looking at like a whole bunch of other things. Like yeah. fa- theoretically fantasizing about like, you know, much more expensive 9-11s I think <laughs> is something that we all kind of do. But yes. like in reality, 
like when you're kind of literally starting to kind of count your pennies and stuff like that, like it completely stopped that for me. I'm a very happy camper with um, the car that I've got and the cars that I have had. Yes. So As am I. As am I. Yeah, you know which is mean? a good place to be. And like you look yeah. at stuff and you think, oh, I wouldn't spend my money on it. You might look at it and you go, oh, that's interesting. That could be cool. But, you know, and I guess we all look at, you know, and as I said, people have more than one car. You look at cars to complement that will work well with your 911. That's a different thing yep. altogether. Yeah. All right, mate. Cool. That's it. Thank you. Have a good week. You too. I'm not going to see you this week then. That's it. <laughs> uh. No, we could, we could hang out. I don't know. I was waiting to see if you're um, free for a drive. I don't know. Weather looks happening. kind of shit. But the weather's terrible. The weather's terrible. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> cool, man. I don't know what's going on. I, got, I, need, I need another coffee. I need another coffee. That's what I need. <laughs> All right, everyone. Are we hanging up yet? <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. That's Steve. Uh, Steve owns a 997 GT3. Um, my name is Michael. Everyone knows who I am. Um, and I own a 997 Carrera. I always should say that because some people haven't been here before. I always forget. I always forget that some people listen to this episode as the first episode. All right, Steve. Until next week. Thanks, mate. See ya. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Porsche School Podcast. Bye for now.